Welcome, and thank you for listening to this episode of Leaps and Bounds. I'm your host, Tom Bash, and I'm thrilled to be bringing you conversations with some of the most successful CEOs, sales leaders, and home improvement professionals. When I started in this industry 20 years ago, tearing off roofs, I had no idea about what went into making a home improvement business successful. Now, having met with thousands of contractors, helping them adopt technology, and watching them grow, I'm excited to invite them on to share what's made them successful, what they're doing today to stay ahead of their competition, and the advice they have for others. On this episode, I'm joined by Charles Antis, founder and CTO of Antis Roofing and Waterproofing. As a well-respected and widely known roofing expert, entrepreneur, and humanitarian, Charles has become one of the most trusted names in the roofing industry, as well as an inspirational business leader championing social corporate responsibility. Charles has served for over 10 years on many national boards and local boards for well-known organizations like the National Roofing Contractors Association, where he co-initiated the national adoption of all 165 Ronald McDonald homes across the country. He is also a board member of the Roofing Alliance for Progress. Charles has been the recipient of many prestigious national awards, including the American Red Cross Corporate Hero Award and a Civic 50 honoree of the most community-minded companies in Orange County in 2019. I'm excited to hear his story, so let's get this show started. Hey, Charles, welcome to the show. Tom, great to be here. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for thanks for coming on. I'd love to, uh, you know, you've got a, a, a very uh, healthy bio, a ton of accolades. You're doing uh, really great stuff in the community, and, and I really appreciate that, and I know our industry does. Um, but I'd love for those who, who maybe aren't as familiar, uh, for you to give them sort of a background of, of who Charles Antis is, I'd love to know how you got started into roofing, of all things, and uh, maybe a little bit more on Antis Roofing. Okay. Uh, Well, I I, uh, am a blue-collar guy. By that, I mean I grew up in a town in the mountains of Oregon, a little town called Myrtle Creek, and every man I knew was the provider for his family, and he worked in the woods or in the mills. So he cut timber or cleared it or uh, or turned it into plywood or lumber. And that's kind of how I grew up. And I always wanted to live in a bigger city. And so when I was old enough, I ended up in Southern California. I was like 20 years old. And I ended up, I got recruited to go down here and, and knock on doors and sell insulation door to door. And and it was a rebate program with a gas company, blah, 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 sales pitch. Right. And what happened was I was, I was, was my first sales job ever. I'm knocking on doors and I sold this family. And this family, I remember them really well to this day because they were a desperate family. So I learned to sign a little bit that day and I was writing stuff down, but I sold them how they were going to save this money. And I, and I was so excited because I kind of loved that family. You know, know it now what I know in sales, you know, you want to love the people you sell to. And I really did. I love this family. The next day I went back to, to get the check, the deposit. And I went up on the door and knocked on the door and I actually saw some activity there, but nobody came up and I, 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 I couldn't understand it. And suddenly I heard st- footsteps and looked over and the neighbor was yelling at me to get off their porch. And I said, well, no, you don't understand. I just sold them. Because, yeah, I know who you are. You just ripped them off. You just promised them this energy savings that they're not going to have. And I started to argue, but I looked down at what she said in the contract and I thought, well, I think she may be right. And I, I felt ashamed. Hmm. and I was humiliated, and I quit that job. And so I ended up in Southern California at 20, during the Summer Olympics of 84, without a job. And that's when I uh, discovered the only job I could see in the landscape where I could look, because I only saw myself really in labor, was roofing. And there was a job there, and uh, they offered me this job, and the next thing you know, I was up there tearing off roofs. And that's how I got into the roofing game back in 1984. 
Yeah, you know, I, I started in roofing uh, doing the same thing, tearing off roofs and uh, learned how to install, ran some crews and, and got started that way. So so now uh, we're, what, uh, 30? See, I was born in 1984, Charles, so I know that 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 time very well. So, <laughs> so now we're 36 years removed from there. Um, and, you know, you're CEO of Antis Roofing. Tell us about Antis Roofing. Well, Antis Roofing uh, was born right around that area because I, I, era, because I got a job at roofing and I... I, you know, and, I, and I discovered there, you know, after that experience selling something that didn't perform, I, I did love going to work every day. And I discovered this thing that I did love. It wasn't tearing off roofs, to be honest. It was solving leaks. If I could fix the leak that no one else could solve, man, I, wa- I rode tall in the saddle that day. <laughs> and so I became great. I became the very best at solving leaks in the homeowner association in Southern California. But before it, that started taking off, there was this experience that I think is critical that I don't know if you wanted me to rip this story off really quick. The first time I had it like a, Oh, like Please a monumental do. giving experience. Yeah. Well, well that the thing that kind of happened early on in that first year uh, before I had that presence out there is I was just, you know, putting the word out that I could solve leaks. I get a couple of calls a week. In fact, calls are so precious. I put weather stripping on the home office converted bedroom so that would be callers wouldn't hear my daughter. And under that kind of condition, I got a call one week and it was for a woman from a woman who had leaks in every room. So that was awesome. I could make some money. I had a mortgage payment coming up. And so I'm driving out to her house the very next day and I, and I'm getting closer. And as I started getting really close, I noticed the neighborhood getting more disheveled homes, getting smaller until finally I turned on that street where the home would be. And I just looked and saw dead grass. And this home set real far back from the road. And I, I hoped it wasn't it, but I knocked on the door. And, and these three things happened so fast, it kind of twirled me into the company that we ended up growing into. And, and that was, the, this woman answers the door. But I see this instant, not a smile, but this almost a frown face as she says hello to me. And as I'm trying to figure that out and thinking what I'm going to respond, I'm hit with the smell of mildew. Like, like you've never smelled, like almost knocked me down mildew. And so I'm, I'm recoiling and then I'm literally leaving. I'm thinking what I'm going to say and as I retreat. But before I could turn, I feel a tug at my finger. And that's when I look down and I see this little girl, this little daughter. She's blonde hair, it's about six, ear to ear smile and just the opposite expression of her mom and me. And she's pulling me into her house like she's never had a visitor before. And she's pulling me in, showing me her living room, which was really crowded, disheveled, into like an undersized hallway. And so finally she turns into this room to her right. I knew it was her room because she pointed immediately to this My Little Pony poster on the wall. But exactly at that time, I looked down and I saw on a cold floor four mattresses with mold. And that was like one of the, that was a moment that, was really painful. It was not painful in the way that it's painful to the listener now, in the way I feel it now. Is at that moment, it was painful to me because I thought, oh my God, what have I got myself into? I can't be here. I have a mortgage payment to make and this little girl's a threat to me. And that's, that's honestly how it felt. I wasn't able to appreciate chance to help i wasn't i wasn't yet a doctor on an airplane thinking i could do any good but the mom walked back in and something about her expression you know not and it it was the opposite of that smiling face proud little daughter with the my little pony poster it was this mom that had the weight of the world on her shoulders and because i 
it was like there were two brains and some brain down low said, I'm going to take care of your roof. And it was the first time those words ever came out of my mouth that I can remember. But I said, I'm going to take care of your roof. And I, and it, and it just sat there and I, and I wondered what I just said and what the implications would be. I didn't know if I could, I honestly didn't know if I could, and I didn't know if I just told a lie, but that's what that, that, that commitment felt like. And then I went up on the roof praying. It was just a, a small hole, but no, they needed a whole new roof and it, it was gone. And I, and I didn't have the capacity to do that. And somehow in that moment I got on the phone and I got, you know, that night and I got uh, six volunteers and that weekend we showed up with some product we bought at home Depot and I gave them a drippy on the outside, but dry on the inside roof and the family stayed in that home. And that became a story that eventually was told. It, we didn't tell it for 20 years because I was, it was almost like we hid our giving in shame, you know. But we, we, we were kind of struck with the condition that's not unlike most roofers I know. We could never let anyone have a leaky roof just because they didn't have the money to pay. That story was never told. We just did it. Until maybe 15 years ago when we started donating the habitat roofs and, and they started telling the story. And then we earned, learned that if we told the story that we could affect more good and that we could also make our people feel more at home. And so, but it all kind of started back then. And that's what's led us to build the, you know, the company that does more HOA roofing in Southern California than any other brand. We're just focused on that industry, keeping families safe and dry. If we didn't have a reason why we existed, if we didn't know it was for keeping families safe and dry, and we didn't understand that that meant a deeper commitment than just getting paid, then I don't think we would have the brand that we have and have the, the relevance we have in the Orange County and Southern California today. So I, I really, we love that story around here because it is we we tell it in reverence because it happened and and we understand the importance of that and the challenge of saying yes in the moment because you know what i got to tell you we make a lot of commitments today we donate a lot of roofs today we donate space for blood drives today we donate trucks on fleets delivering food today and it and sometimes when that ask comes out i gotta tell you it feels like i'm gonna bleed to death if i say yes and i don't know why i said it feels like you're ripping a rib out of me if i say yes but what we've learned to do is just not say no what we've learned to do we've learned this magic word it's a super magic word i don't know if you guys have ever used this word but it's one you've heard of before but when someone asks you for something I'm going to say this. Don't say no. Just say this one word. Say maybe. Maybe is a magic word. If you go to bed with a maybe, what that means is in your mind there's a little possibility that something good is going to happen. If you go to bed with a little possibility that something good is going to happen, I'm not telling you to know why it works, but when you wake up, the world shifted and something works toward that good just from that magic word of maybe. And that's just, I didn't mean to give advice right there, but it is something I discovered and I discovered it over and over again, because to this day, I do not initially accept an offer of helping somebody gracefully. I got to tell you, sometimes it annoys me. Sometimes it hurts me. It's like, why they just, so they stop asking, but I just learned to hold it differently. I hold it like, Maybe for all I know, we can. And then something happens and we do and the world shifts and then our people are happier. 
the nonprofits happier, the families happier, safer, and and dry. And so there's there's something magical about doing that thing that our dads and moms taught us when we were little kids. You know, it's like just do the right thing. It ain't right if it if it ain't sexy. Who cares? Just do it because it's right. And there's something really powerful about that when you learn to talk about it. And I think that's the magic of today is we're learning that there's value in talking about it because if we talk about it, we can, like, I'm talking, I'm saying some weird stuff here. I realize that I'm, 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 I'm almost talking about spirituality, but not talking about spirituality, but it's in talking about it differently and in building bridges and in creating a more inclusive language that, that really great stuff is built that lasts. And I feel like, through our philanthropy, we are building a great brand that lasts, that builds the best roofs we've ever built. Because as we say here at Amtis Roofing, in our roofs and in our people, every nail matters. I didn't mean to go on that long rant. Sorry about that. No, I really appreciate it. It's a great, it's a great story. And I think it, uh, it gives, I think the folks listening a really good understanding of the background and the importance that this plays, um, you know, in everything that you do. So I, well, we are pretty intentional here, yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I want to talk more about sort of that corporate social responsibility, um, but I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, ask you about the Ronald McDonald houses. I know that's very near and dear to your heart. Well, okay, to tell that story, I think it's important that I frame it a little bit, uh, a little bit educationally in that, in that uh, you know, as a corporate social responsibility expert, that's, you know, basically saying business should be a social steward, not just to make money. Um the uh that that your stories need to be real you can't just tell something it's got to be authentic and real and the only way to really make that happen is to really tell real stories and so a lot of times our giving it's effective if it's truly who we are if it aligns out with our values and so that's the prep of the story is because it wasn't it wasn't a beautiful story in the beginning. And the story is, well, it was. My wife and I were pregnant. I got married at 50, and we decided to have kids. And it's the best decision I ever made. And we have six-year-old really healthy twins today. And I want to start with that to not put you through any pain. Because my wife, at six and a half months pregnant, suddenly had developed preeclampsia. And overnight, we're in the hospital. And I went through a really difficult delivery. I, I listened to myself. We, my wife went through a difficult delivery, but it was, it was really difficult for me because my world changed and you know how hard it is when our worlds change negatively. And this was really negative because I had three people that I loved that were, that were not well. And Charlie, Gracie, my twins and, and my wife. And the next thing you know, they're in NICU, they're in the chalk local NICU, the children's hospital. And, and every day we would go in to, we, because the chalk nurses said, if you come in and you lay the twins, you take off your shirt and you lay the twins skin on skin on your naked chest for two hours, two sessions a day, our data says they have a 900% chance of being whole. And so you know what we did? We were there every day. We made that long drive. And it was a long drive because suddenly we were worried. And every day when we would walk in, we'd walk by the Ronald McDonald House, which exists to keep families close to their sick kids and they would show us how they hey come here have some sex have some coffee have a bed have a computer how can we help we're right here you can spend the night here you can do whatever you want and i and i would ignore them and i ignored them 
I mean, I remember very specifically not wanting to associate with them. And I, and I, I didn't examine why at the time, but looking back, I didn't want to be part of the club of families with sick children. And it, it was something like that, but I, but I go by them every day and they'd offer me something and, and I never took it. And then one day, about a month in and I'm going and I was scheduled to have Charlie on my chest and I went to work that morning and I was racing there and I was running late and I hadn't had any breakfast and I had really bad acid reflux, which is like heartburn that was beyond bad. And I wasn't going to be able to, wasn't going to be able to do the skin on skin. And I was really stressed about it because this chronic heartburn wouldn't have kept me from laying still for two hours. And on the way in, I'm running by, I'm wondering what I'm going to do. I'm wondering what I'm going to tell my wife. I look down and nobody's at the Ronald McDonald station and nobody's there, but I look down and I just see a little green nature Valley granola bar. You know, the little same one we've had since we were kids. I look down and I, and in my mind, I thought that might heal my heartburn. And I, I grabbed one. I, I say I stole it because I didn't have any intention of paying them back, but I ate that bar and I went down and I, and I don't remember anything up until I, re, I have a memory of sitting in that chair, laid back with my shirt off an hour and a half later with Charlie asleep on my chest. I just remember being so grateful that I was able to do it that day. You know, I was so grateful because it didn't look like I was going to be able to. And that was, that was a little miracle. And so it was so weird that I didn't ever put it together. I never really gave him a proper thank you. And, and then a couple of years later, I'm speaking somewhere and this lady's waiting to talk to me and her, Susan from Rumble Dollhouse. And she's just excited. And next thing you know, we're, we're keeping the family's, safe and dry and close to the sick kids because he started donating the roofing service to Ronald McDonald House. But at that same exact time, Bill Good was inviting me to be part of the NRCA and I became part of the board because he wanted NRCA to have the brand affiliation and the intention that we have in Orange County. And I said, okay, let's do let's do a nonprofit drive. And, and at that time, that's when I got my affiliation with Orange County Ronald McDonald House. So I said, I'm on the board here. We're donating roofs, keeping families safe and dry. Why don't we donate the roofs to all the Ronald McDonald House and all 165 Ronald McDonald Houses across the country? And Bill said, that might work. And then a year later, I was in the meeting at the Roofing Alliance when 70 beautiful roofers raised their big, strong hands. And we wrote it. We voted Ronald McDonald House to be the first ever Ronald, the first ever nonprofit partner in 130 years of the NRCA. And now across the country, over 200 roofing professional companies are keeping all of the families safe, dry, and close by adopting and donating all the roofing services. And that's a really awesome story that kind of started from a real story because I'm also on the board here and I'm, I'm on the capital camp. I'm the chair of the capital campaign. We're raising $13 million so we can double the size of the house because we need to raise the house from 20 rooms uh, to 44 rooms. And so I'm very much active in this. If we, if this was a video podcast, I would show you that I'm wearing the red and white Ronald McDonald house socks right now because we have a Rock the Socks campaign going on right now with KLOS Radio, where we're donating. In fact, I know that some of that's visible coast to coast. We're donating portions of the campaign to Ronald McDonald House so we can keep families safe, dry, and close. So there's this amazing brand alignment, which starts to happen when your real stories start to line up with the real stories of what's going on in the community. And then you have all these community leaders and community brands co-meshing their stories and, and those are the stories that the public hears. Those are the stories that you, the family members of your employees hear. And then it makes 
and then and then it helps us put a better focus on where focus should be, not just on you know low bid domination of the roofing market, but in truly keeping families safe and dry and making communities more whole. Well, I, I appreciate you sharing that story. I think it's uh, certainly touched a lot of people, and it's it's helpful in in the context of uh, you know the great things that you're doing. So really appreciate that. I'd love to know you know as as sort of the world has shifted, and, and I'll go back to maybe when. You know, uh, you know, all the lockdowns happened because of the pandemic. What did that do to you know your philanthropy and your efforts, and and how how did you how did you manage that, and how did you shift what you were doing to to continue to give back? Well, I think that's a great question. I think it's a really important question. In fact, it's I think the most important question right now because I think if we can pause, we all have to recognize that everything's shifting. Philanthropy is a metaphor for how business operations are going to shift, how we're going to be uh, walking into new normals that will only hold for a short period. And then a couple quarters later, there'll be new, new normals, exponential change. And I think that I felt that in philanthropy and I felt it because I was really struggling eight months ago when everything stalled in the world. And and I struggled with a culture where my people were concerned of their jobs. I struggled with how to be steady in the moment, I struggled partly because our philanthropy was stalled. Our Ronald, our Ronald McDonald House meals of love, we weren't able to go inside and cook meals anymore. Our habit for Habitat for Humanity builds, we weren't able to do that. So some of the thing that keeps us together, some of the thing that helps us know who we are stalled. And I think that's when, for me, um, I, I, I had an awakening experience and it, it didn't feel like that when it started. It started because I started hearing about blood insecurity and food insecurity. We started hearing these stories and at first I go, what? What's that? Oh, they can't, they can't get blood because they had to close all the clinics. There's no space. Oh, oh, there's food insecurity. You mean that thing that happens in third world countries happens here? Yes. Over 20% of our population from coast to coast, a lot higher in some places, are food insecure, which means they do not have enough food to eat. Well, that's still hard for a lot of us to hear. I was hearing it, wondering what I'm going to do in the moment. And I kept hearing it like three, four weeks. I'm not doing anything. I'm locked in my home. Very few people at the office. And finally, I called a friend who Harold Harriman, who's the CEO of Second Harvest Food Bank. How can I help? And he said, come drive in the Second Harvest Truck Brigade. Bring food to the elderly. They don't have enough food. And I showed up reluctantly because I put my foot in my mouth and I had to. And by showing up, it changed everything because I was assigned the first day uh, this home, and I, I delivered these boxes to this home. It's the second story of a condo. I carry these boxes up. I'm not supposed to have any contact, but she needs me help carrying these boxes in. She goes, okay, carry these boxes, and I carry them inside, and I look at this woman, and she's about 80 years old, and she's alone, and she's in a nightgown, and she's so grateful. She starts saying this. I didn't hear what she's saying. She starts saying, bless you, bless you, and bless you, and at first I felt uncomfortable like because I didn't know her, and why she's saying that? And I kind of turned, but Tom, when I turned, all of a sudden I felt this thing. I felt, wow. I felt alive, awakened in the moment. I felt like, oh my God, I kind of get something I couldn't see before. There was a, there's a need here that was, I heard about, but now I'll never forget it because this woman is making sure that I won't forget it. And then, and then she, she said, wait a minute. And I, and I was excited because I thought she had a gift to give me, you know, and I was, you know, not that I wanted anything, but I really, I made, I felt good in that moment, <clears throat> but instead she returned with this empty, squeezed, completely flat tube of Colgate toothpaste. And in that moment I had this awakening where 
it was beautiful, but it was also like, okay, we've got work to do. And I came, I came back more ready to lead in my company. And it was a, a couple of weeks later, I'm sending a fleet of trucks every Tuesday at two, because every Tuesday at two o'clock was the hardest slot that second harvest could fill. And we would send three trucks to fill it every week during this like 10 week drive and uh, to get the food to the food insecure. And, and that's kind of what happened. The same thing happened with blood. You know, I didn't plan on it. I didn't plan on doing it, but America, we heard blood is here. I have a, board member VP that works for me, Susan DeGrassi, they need space. We have space. We donate 7,000 feet. We clean it out. And now every two weeks we have a blood drive. We've had 18 blood drives. We've had, I think, 1,400 life-saving treatments of blood uh, uh, here, d- done here. And we've heard these stories about like Nigel, who, who never, who hated giving blood because she was, he was struck with the condition uh, where he had too much iron. He had to give blood every week just to live. And he hated it until this one day he showed up and he met this little girl who was there to get blood because she was struck with the condition that she had to have a transfusion every week just to sort of survive. And I get to hear these stories. And I'm going to tell you one more story because this story here, I'm going to lead to something. Uh, uh, Another blood story. You start hearing these blood donors. They don't tell their stories, but when you ask them to, oh, my God, this guy, Harry, I I teased him. He came in and and I said, hey, Harry, give me blood from both arms. And he put out both arms and took a picture of him. Well, that night, Harry sent me an email. He said, Charles, it bothered me a bit when you said that. He said, because I grew up in a war-torn Lebanon, and there was a civil war that was so great. The loss of life was so great because nobody would brave the war to donate blood at the storm until the largest man in the village heard this. He heard this, and he, and he walked through until he came to the hospital, and he stormed the doors, and he thrust out his arms and take what you take all the blood you need from both arms and don't stop until you have enough. And when when he told me that story, you know, I, I wept because something hit me further in this moment. I realized, man, what am I doing? I used to say this, but what am I doing? And am I all in? And so I think that's the challenge that I remind my team and those other businesses, you know, where, what is your story that your cause that right now you can be all in with both arms that, is what we need today and that's also what's going to get make your brand relevant today yeah it's a it's a great story and uh certainly really good advice how do how do leaders um you know how can leaders take this message and really uh run with it within their organizations well i think um i think that there's a there's several points to that so i i would give a quick a quick uh purpose 101 class First of all, thanks for mentioning leader. If you want to really have impact, you need to be a decision maker in your company. If you, if you can't have impact in a real way, if there's no budget of time or materials or resources or talent for it. So, so if you really want to have impact, I'm really speaking to the CEOs. Um, and this is, and, and if you're in your company, uh, play this tape for your CEO. The CEO needs to, to really have a story that aligns with why that company exists like it, it's easy for a roofing company yeah we exist to keep families safe and dry that's an it's a brilliant line it took us 30 years to come up with it but it's brilliant but but that that's why we donate the roofs for habitat for humanity it all lines out i have stories like i told you that line out so uh, if you're going to take this message 
you need to make it your message. What's the cause that's near and dear to your heart? When you know the cause that's near and dear to your heart and it aligns well with your brand, and that might need a little bit of work with a, with someone like myself, which, by the way, I would help anybody with. Um, but you, but you, when you understand why that story aligns with your brand, then you need to find where you can show up and where you really want to show up as a nonprofit that already exists. And you don't, because you don't have time to build a non your own cause. You won't be able to do both. You'll have to give up your business if you're going to be all in. You can't be on both. But if you can find the cause that's near and dear to your heart. Then make sure it has this. Look at the board members. Is the CEO is the CEO a top driver CEO that has everybody's attention? It's a great leader. You have to have that, or you'll end up spinning your wheels. And look at the board members. It's critically important that this is the number one criteria before you get involved in a nonprofit, which I recommend you get involved. Make sure that the board members have something you want. And, and that is so critical. They are people that you want to be like. You want the traits of those individuals. You will get them like you won't believe by showing up and getting involved with boards. And, and all of a sudden, you'll learn to do something that it's taken me a long time to do. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a college dropout, yet I serve amongst a dozen other boards on a local college board. I see myself higher than I used to. And I think it's critically important in this in the, in the trade, those of us that central workers that really care for, we're the brawn and we're the, we're the ingenuity that keeps people safe and protected. I think it's a really awesome opportunity. And we, our stories are craved in the causes in your community. And so around the country, I lecture um, roofing professionals to get involved and I show them how, and I, sh and I show them stories of why it's so important. And I remind them of what we're able to do together. And I think that that's something that is critically important. Get involved with the causes near and dear to your heart where you can go all in and learn how to tell your story. And, and if you have somebody else that's out there doing it, make sure that's a CEO that you're part of the story too, that you understand the impact it's having. Don't, I read something the other day that I don't mean to put anybody down, but they were talking about something that was impactful. And they said, and they said this, this was really awesome. We had such an impact in the community. We're so grateful for all that we can do. What they said was nothing. Instead say, I'm so grateful that we were able to have 80 families have housing that never had housing before. And as a result, their kids are able to be in a safe community protected and go to school and receive a safe education. You know, it's the impact is the story that you'll be able to tell if you're truly involved. And I think, I think my, my message is you don't have a choice. You need to be involved because the world is shifting. It's, it's not, if you're in business in the next 10 years, just to make money, good luck. How are you going to hang on to your people when everything's shifting? But when you have cause and alignment and people's stories align with yours and they believe in you and they believe in the, 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 the partner brands that you have, then people stay, you attract and you retain top talent. And then you have the true ability to navigate in a super adaptive world. Like, I mean, we're moving into this futurist world, which I'm getting better at describing, but I still don't describe it right. But it's like an adaptable, we have to learn a discipline of adaptive adaptability. It's adaptability that's so flexible in the moment. It's, it's a language I can't even speak yet, but I'm trying to build our company toward. And being tied to giving makes it really easy to do because giving is changing and because giving 
attracts and retains top talent. I think there's one other thing that I wanted you to let me plug today, and that was this new class that we're announcing officially today in the United Way, Um, uh, because it's the perfect time to bring that up. I'm such a big proponent of this, and I believe in it so much. I lecture around it all around the world, and, and it truly made our company so powerfully strong. And I can't – I don't totally understand why it works, but I've been wanting to build a discipline to teach it because it's really hard to, be, to give three, four points off your top line. Uh, when you're a $20 million company, it's hard to give a, a million dollars away and trust you'll be in business. But – there's a but if we could create a class for CEOs to go where we could bake together and share what's working that so you won't get voted out if you have a bad quarter where you can really share what's working and how to get your story out there how to find the brand that aligns well finally United Way has brokered with myself and Bebop Calandra we've been building this course and today we're announcing it and it's this course I'd like to I have the title here where I could read it if I can find it but I don't have my glasses on, but it's basically, it's the new imperative. It's not a choice in the world where it's an imperative. Learn to have, learn to learn why your brand exists and how to get the story out. And it's a super fascinating class. I'm so excited right now. I'm not doing it any justice, but it, it's, it's the, the, the partner I wrote it with is Viva Calandro. She just has a book coming out this month, another book called do good at work in which she has, uh, part of my story in it, but this woman is amazing because she consults CEOs around the world that do a lot of the social giving. And the reason I know her is she's like the data expert, and I'm like the storyteller. And we we teach together a lot. And now we have this class that we're brokering together. United Way is the one investing in it, and we're super excited because not only can it change the way we do business here in Orange County. But we already have eyes on it around the country, and this has an opportunity to change how we do business around the world. And if, when you talk to me, you can tell I'm driven by impact. And by making my drive impact and not top line sales, I have a lot healthier company than I used to. And you, you touch on this briefly about sort of the impact it has to the business. I'd, I'd like, if we can here for a minute, just talk about, too, the, the, the sort of the cause marketing, right? Like, what are... What are you doing um, from a marketing standpoint uh, as it relates to you know getting the word out? In the last four years, we have not had an external marketing spend. And what that really means is we haven't really spent money on marketing. All of our money's kind of been through donations to cause. And, it, and it's not entirely true because I could find some caveats it's not true, but we used to spend $15,000 a month on getting all of our external uh, messaging out there and getting press releases and stuff. Now we get more press. Like you've probably heard of Anthos in the last four years when we've had no press spend. It's just been from the giving that we do. So I think that's, the, that's a, an interesting point that in the last four years for our company, we've had probably more press than anybody our size. And yet we've done that um, through social giving. And when you get a story told by somebody else because you're doing something good, the weight of it's got to be five times that of if you're buying it for yourself. I mean, so if I had an algorithm that measured how better off we are, I mean, there's so many levels of insulation that exist when you're known as a company that's trying to do good. I mean, the one thing is just the way people feel about you. You know, they, they say things like, we just, feel good when we hear your name or your brand your brand name and that used to bother me but now i understand why because it's that reptilian brain thing where we're safe to travel with you know it's like that's 
I think all of our decisions are really by that deeper brain, that that brain that operates below our conscious thought. And I think that that's that brain, that that reptilian, emotionally intelligent brain that that aligns ourselves with safe brands because that's who we'd be safe to travel with with our kids if we lived on the plane 10,000 years ago. I, I kind of just jumped into that really suddenly. Sorry. But I, uh, but I really, I do. I, I'm really into um, neuromarketing, really into inclusive messaging and emotional intelligence. And because of that, I'm an expert messenger. And, and my expertise on all of the boards that I offer, that I sit on, is in messaging. That's the area that I offer, but it's because I tie into that. So it sounds a little weird, but when you spend some time in it, um, I know it, as we've talked about some of that before, but I know to some of the listeners, like, what's this guy talking about? This The guy's construction guy. Well, I'm talking about how to be heard internally and externally, how your people and the community will hear you and what you're saying and your stories. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, absolutely. As we, uh, as we get closer to wrapping this up, I'd love for you to share with people that are inspired and that want to get started. You know, how, how do they go about getting started? Well, I, um, I think one of the greatest things you can do is, first of all, you know, what's the cause that's near and dear to your heart. But before you're, as you're baking on that, it's, you know, it's, it's all about who you hang out with. So there's an amazing mall on that's really great for social responsibility in a subtle way, and that's LinkedIn. So just get involved in LinkedIn. If you're not ready to do it, have somebody help do it with you. And then just get, it, get attached to people like me that are that that message on social responsibility. It's not just then the big brands like the Coca-Cola's of the world. Um, the way I learned social responsibility was emulating Coca-Cola. 15 years ago, if you went to see a movie anywhere in the world on a regal screen, you would see this great. Uh, in fact, I think Coca-Cola did all movie trailers where they'd have this big commercial with people throwing Coke cans in the trash. And, and you hear this man's voice after 30 seconds saying, do you realize that if you drink Coke in the last 30 years, you've participated in the largest recycling project in the history of the planet. And it really hit me. I got goosebumps when I heard it. And I thought, well, that's not really doing anything. But I thought, well, yes, they are. They're brilliant. They're creating purpose. They're, they're, they're... And so then I started emulating it because we already donated to the roofs to Habitat for five years or whatever. And so on our messaging, I said, I said on all of our uh, uh, social media, I said, do you realize if you partner with Anthos in the last five years, you've helped provide a safe roof for a Habitat for Humanity family. And I believe that helped our brand a lot. And I, you know, but with branding, a lot of times it's the stories you hear, it's the smiles you see afterwards. But that was a critical moment in us learning um, how to be relevant in our brand. I don't know if I answered your question. Yeah, no, I'm just looking for uh, for steps to to get started. So I know, you know, obviously finding a cause yeah, is, is certainly important. But yep, go ahead. Yeah, there are, I, I just there's a lot of it. So really, and also it's really your network. So not only do I was saying, you know, uh, start emulating. You just kind of you, you emulate because it's really it's really weird. It's really easy for me to talk about socially tough issues because I do it all the time. But it's really hard for a lot of people to talk about their social giving. So the way you do it is you emulate the way companies that you respect talk about their social giving. But you don't talk about your social giving until you are involved in your social giving. Talk out loud. Be authentic. Find a way to dedicate a little bit of time to it. You may not have the resources to donate money to it, but you'll be able to donate a little bit of time to it every week. If you can donate a little bit of time and attention to the cause that aligns with your brand that's near and dear to your heart, 
then you'll start to find that your story will start to develop so long as you're networked with people. And that's, again, why if you're an Orange County company, reach out to me and maybe you can be part of the initial 12 companies that start this new cohort with United Way where we're going to teach the new imperative that you must be a socially responsible company to survive and thrive in the new world. But there's a lot more I can say. And also, if any of you reach out to me on LinkedIn, I'm not always uh, quick answering the emails because that's just another stash of mail, but I always eventually get to those. But I'm very active in saying, I mean, most of my relationships in the social responsible world are developed just from people reaching out on LinkedIn. So uh, please be involved and follow me and, and, and converse with me about topics on, you know, really, it's a great time to, to be curious about how we can make our communities and, our, and the world a better place. Absolutely. Charles, I really appreciate it. Uh, I think you're setting a great example for, for others, not only in this industry, but uh, uh, leaders in the in the world. So I really appreciate you sharing these stories with our listeners and, and giving them some advice on how to get started and how to how they can uh, you know take the, the goodwill that they're doing and, and uh, have an impact into their businesses. Uh, as, as we close, I just wanted to give it back to you if there's any closing thoughts you had. Wow, I don't know. I, I think this is this is a this is a crazy year in many ways. It's also a beautiful year. I mentioned earlier that our our people were insecure walking into this, but right now I have the best culture that I've ever had, and people have more job security than they ever had. And so I think I think I would look at this as a challenge to everyone out there, you know. And let's 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 look at this year like cheers 2021 let's look back at 2020 that's when we jumped all in with both arms and so that's my challenge let's look back on this is when we decided to wake up and make it better together for everyone and if you do so i'm here to be a living example our company is, is you'll not only sleep better at night you'll thrive as a company so thank you that's all i got today Awesome, Charles. Really appreciate you coming on. Thanks. Thanks, Tom. Anytime, man. Well, that'll do it for today's show. I truly hope you enjoyed this episode of Leaps and Bounds. If you did, be sure to leave us a five-star rating and review and subscribe to the podcast. We look forward to bringing you more exclusive conversations with some of the most successful home improvement leaders. If you're interested in learning more about Leap, be sure to check us out at leaptodigital.com or follow one of our social channels. Until next time, see you.